0: Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach Podcast. The podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories.
1: Today is a special podcast.
0: Thanks, JJ. You are right, young man. For those who don't know, JJ Mondro is my six-year-old son who wants to be the first pro golfer and NBA player. Today is indeed a special conversation a special bonus episode. So many of us are simply preparing for March Madness, whether it's winning your conference tournament or winning your district, regional, sectional, state tournament or playing and advancing in the NCA tournament. At the end of the day, we are all striving to be the best possible team come March. I am fortunate to have a relationship with Coach Archie Miller through an amazing coaching friendship with one of Coach Miller's former great staff members at Dayton in Indiana. Quite simply, Bill Comar, the current director of basketball operations at Ball State, has created an avenue where I could reach out to Coach Miller. As many of you know, Bill is by far one of the most organized coaches in all of college basketball. I am so eager to share Coach Comar's story this spring. That being said, Coach Archie Miller was so gracious to give me some time to share how he thinks teams can win in March. This is an incredible listen. Coach Miller is the real deal. 10 years of head coaching experience at Indiana and Dayton. With the Flyers, Coach went to the postseason five times with four NCAA appearances and an Elite Eight. After a terrific playing career at NC State for Coach Herb Sendek, Coach Miller's assistant resume is all about winning two assistant stops at NC State, Western Kentucky, Ohio State, and Arizona before being named the head coach of Dayton at the age of 35. Coach Miller's father, John, is a Hall of Fame coach in the Pittsburgh area. And his brother, Sean, had an incredible coaching run at Xavier in Arizona. Archie and Sean host an incredible podcast called Next Play with the Miller Brothers. In addition, Archie is a frequent contributor to the Field of 68 After Dark podcast. Quite simply, Archie's work on these podcasts is an absolute must for a basketball coach. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Drow. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondreau. Enough of Coach Drew. Let's get to Coach Archie Miller and learn how to win in March. Coach Miller, how do you think teams win in March?
1: Well, you know, Kevin, the biggest thing in March is, number one, don't lose a sense of, like, who you are and how you got there. You know, so many times, you know, you get to the tournament, you get to postseason, and it becomes big with the media. It becomes big with the hype. And I think one of the things that's really, really key is the teams that get there, do it a certain way, believe in what they do more than anything, and then they go in there with the right mentality that they have to be able to do it the best that they've ever done it. That's what typically gives teams a chance to have an opportunity because, as you know, every team that you play is good. It doesn't matter what seed you are. It really doesn't matter where you're seeded or or who you're playing. You're going to play good teams. So that's why the tournament is so competitive. But you find a way, the teams that found a way to win, doing it their way, getting better through the course of the year you know, to me has a chance to have a lot of success in March because they're not trying to do things that they didn't do to get there.
0: I always enjoyed watching your teams in the conference tournament. And this podcast is really dialed in for high school coaches and so forth. How did you prepare for a team a second or third time?
1: You know, it's, it's tough. You know, in most cases, you know, you play a team a few times during the course of a year, you know, them, they know you. and And when you go into that, second or even the third, which to me the third one is the one that's really hard, comes down really to the little thing. You know, it's going to be a possession by possession game. You're going to deal with a lot of 50-50 balls. Do you make free throws? Those third games and the time that you play a team, you're not going to trick them. So it really comes down at the end of the day to execution. Are you going to be able to not turn it over. Are you going to be able to, you know, run good offense? And then defensively, are you going to play smart, hard without fouling, and realistically not give up easy baskets? Times that we've had to play a team twice on a quick turnaround or a third time, those games have always been really, really hard battles. And uh, they usually come down to the last four minutes of the game. To me, the last four minutes is all about, you know, is your team comfortable executing? Is your team comfortable you know, with your defensive communication and what you have to do, because you kind of know what's coming. You just have to be smart and you have to be, uh, like I said a little bit before, you have to be yourself.
0: How about playing a team that's already beaten you? I coached with Rob Murphy for 10 years. One of the big Bayheim things was like creating a mindset with the guys and coach Murphy was great with that. Like, how do you create a mindset with a team when you face someone that's beaten you twice?
1: You know, that's a good one. You know, I think it is a mindset. If you're playing a team that you split, you know, it's the best of three. You know, let's win the series. If you happen to have a team you're playing for a third time that has gotten you twice, your preparation stems from your two games. You know, those two games are the things that you didn't do well, and you as a coach and staff are just beating your team over the head with the the things that you didn't get done that you can control, not the uncontrollables, but the controllables. and You know, sometimes there's a rivalry involved. Sometimes the game is, you know, the two best teams in the league going for a championship and you hope that the, the motivation is there. But to me, when you're playing that team that's gotten you recently or has gotten you a couple times, you have to really beat over your head to the things that your guys specifically, very, very small amounts of information, but specifically what got you beat. And if you take care of business and those things, then the outcome will hopefully come your way.
0: So as a head coach, what would you give some tips to coaches for like short prep? You know, NCAA tournament, you made that Elite Eight run with Dayton. You guys were playing Friday, Sunday, Thursday, Saturday. Like what was the main thing you tried to zero in as a head coach on short prep?
1: You know, really short prep goes right to your base core principles. You know, if you're scouting a team and you're talking about your defense and what you're going to have to do in a short turnaround when you have a lot of information is you have to break down your coverages. In today's game, it may be, you know, number one, how are they scoring off the ball? screen? How are they scoring in the post? What are they doing off the ball that could cause us problems? And you just take those three things you zero your guys in on your system. Hey, look, this is what we're doing in the middle of the floor off the ball screen. Hey, this is what we're doing against player X off the ball. And sometimes you'll have a lot of reference points as you get into tournament play because you've played teams earlier in the year who did certain things and you can go back and look at those games and bring the edit to your players and say, look, we've already guarded this action. We've already guarded this type of player. From an offensive uh, perspective, it's the same thing. You know, how are they playing you? What What do they like to do? Do they change defenses? Is it a zone game more than a man game? And In some cases, you may play in Eastern Michigan, plays 40 minutes of zone, and you haven't seen it in almost a month, depending on. The league you're in, so I think you know from your standpoint, you have to zero your guys in on what you do. But I think the big thing is to bring reference points of earlier in the season when you've done it well and how you did it then. Show them what you're going to have to do from a film perspective because you don't have a lot of time on the court. You know, when we would advance in the tournament, we would really, really bring to light the good things that happened in, in the game prior. You know, what got us to that that game? How did we win? How did we advance? And, and to me, that does the players a lot of good. Get some confidence. But moving into that next one, you want to zero in one. Who can beat you? What's their personnel? How do they beat you? And what are we going to have to do within our system to be able to execute against it? And then if you've done it already during the course of the year, you have to bring that to your players' visual so they can say, ah, I remember back in December when we played this team, they did the same thing. Look how we did it. We got to do it
0: again. You know, a few times I would come to the hotel before you guys are playing, you know, different teams locally and have some mutual friends on your past staffs. But like, how long would a film session like that be? I'm always curious, like a high-level coach like yourself, you know, have all this information, you have to decipher it, get it to the guys. Like, what are we talking like an edit? Like, wh- where did you try to keep it lengthwise?
1: You know, I think the big thing is you can't be any longer than 15 minutes in a room with a group of guys. And uh, when it comes to, you know, personnel edit. You want to talk about the other team's players. You know, to me, later in the year, that edit's a lot shorter, six or seven minutes, maybe maybe two to three things specifically of what one guy may do. And you're really trying to trim that down because at that time of the year, the end of the season, your players' attention spans are shorter. They've heard it now 32 times, 33 times. We're going over a game plan edit or a special emphasis edit. We're trying to keep that between 10 and 15 minutes. And then we would always get up from where we're watching the film. And then use that area space out and kind of walk through a couple of things right there in a hotel, right there in a ballroom, right there in a film room, just to get them up and get them moving. But I think late in the year, as crazy as this sounds, when the pressure's up and the stakes are up and the information is overloaded at times your team, they get tired of that. And I think, you know, what we tried to do is really keep things really short. Mm-hmm. Even late in postseason play, we would show more of ourselves than we would of the other team. You know, for instance, if we were going into a first-round tournament game and we were getting ready to talk about how we are going to guard them, our players would have already guarded in practice and scouting. We would show the practice clips more than we would show the other team just to show our players because, as you know, they love to see themselves on film more than they do somebody else.
0: For sure. <laughs> it's crazy. What about so maybe you would cover three or four actions I assume like the principles you just talked about your defense and I always I'm not sure the, the the specifics was it pack line or not but you know you had some core non-negotiables that you know you guys held to a standard every game. As the game got going and there was actions that you might have not prepared or walked or seen did you just kind of trust your guys to trust the the core of your defense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're not going to be able to prepare your players for everything. And that's where it comes really down to drilling and believing in what you do. You know, for instance, if if we would play Boise State in, in a first round game in the tournament and we would have to turn around and play Providence the next round. Our guys aren't going to have enough time to recover and get their bodies right, get the mental and watch all the different types of things that Providence is going to do. So at the end of the day, we wouldn't even show the hundred actions. We would show the concepts. Hey, they're running a back screen, ball screen in the middle of the floor, different ways. We have to zone in on back screen, ball screen, hell with all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Off the ball, they're a flex. Stagger team, or they're a, they're a zoom handoff team. They get to them different ways and they're coming from the different sides or angles. Don't worry about that. But when they do this action, we're dealing with it this way. So even when you're prepping on a short turnaround with a lot of information, I think you have to really kind of zone your guys in on what they do well and how they do it. Throughout the course of the game, that's where your staff has to come into play. And hey, they may be doing something different in this game because the, they've scouted you and they want to hit you a different way. You have to be able to adjust on the Fly with your system, whether you're trapping the post or hey, they went away from ball screens, they're running a lot more stuff off the ball. And you're going to have to zone your guys in on the fly on off the ball stuff each time out. You know, to me, if you don't have a style that you believe in, if you try to do things game to game, to me, that's when you can really get hurt in terms of preparation because it becomes too much.
0: You know, you mentioned your staffs and and you've had some high-level staffs, guys that, you know, Will and our head coaches, like, and you were a high-level assistant when you were too. What did you want your assistants to be doing during this time? Was it all into scouting? Did you want them individually getting with guys, you know, you know, motivation, shots, so forth? Like, what was the role of your staff during March?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, number one, we would always break our staff down, you know, so like, you know, once one, that one guy would be dealing with the actual scouts and the other two guys would be zoned in on a future opponent, you know, when you're in postseason play, even if you're in the preseason exempt tournaments, you know, you, you kind of have those guys ready. And I think, you know, you want that first game to be the game that, you know, obviously you trust the most. It's the one that you have to win to do anything else. You want to get your best guy on, on that stuff. And, you know, like when I was a Dayton, Kevin Kuick was a master in terms of scouting and preparation and I would always allow Kevin to take the first game on in postseason play or or even preseason play because I knew the amount of information that he could present to me would be what I needed. And then from there, the minute that that game ends, the next person up on your staff, the only thing I would really care about at the end of the day is what are we going to need to do in the next 36 hours or 24 hours to get our guys ready? Give me two things on defense, give me two things on offense that I can go right at them right away. Hmm. And then once we would get that first initial burst out of the way, we would come back with some more specifics as we would dial in and, and do more scouting. Because, you know, think about it when you're in the NCAA tournament, you may play a team for the first time on a 24 hours or, you know, a day's rest, but they've played 35 games. You know, you can't go back and show your players all 35, <laughs> but you have to have your staff be able to have a wealth of information from scouting or other coaches in the business that you talk to. And at the end of the day, okay, this is what we're going to hit our guys with in the morning. And then when we come back at night, we'll be a little bit more specific. But I think at the end of the day, your coaches have to spend time preparing. But the most important thing that's going on is your team. And I think at the end of the day, when you're in postseason, you could have a number of different types of teams. One that's riding high. You could have one that's banged up. But you have to have a pulse of your guys. And to me, you know, sometimes it may be, hey, we're going to sit down with such and such group of players here tonight after dinner and we're going to zone those guys in on this key player on the other team. He's a great player. He's an all-conference player, but we need these four guys dialed in on doing the job. Just try to get them motivated individually because it's such a long year and it's an exciting time and hopefully your team is engaged that you won't need a whole lot of, of talking. Do
0: you ever remember a moment where you put something in the game plan that maybe you guys hadn't done all year?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were, we were constantly, always weekend. I think one of the things we tried to do a great job of in postseason was steal baskets on underneath, out of bounds. Mm. You could really, you know, take a team who was playing zone, or take a team that's playing man, and you could hit them with maybe a new play here or there. If you were playing a team that was, you know, primarily zone, you know, could you come up with one or two things that you haven't shown you could steal a basket? We would always try to steal a couple buckets, but I think defensively, depending on how the team is played, we have done a number of different things. You know, I think when we were a little bit older at Dayton, we could really add some things on the fly and not real worried about, are they going to screw it up? Whether we hadn't trapped the post all year long, but we were going into a game playing against a great post player. And at the end of the day, we were going to trap them. We just weren't early in the game. We were going to show trap, make them think differently, Uh, trapping out of timeouts and in ball screens, which we hadn't Done, maybe we were going to blitz Chris Dunn from Providence a couple of times if he used to, you know, end the clock, you know, things like that. And I remember playing in Syracuse in the second round in Buffalo, and um, Jeremy Grant was on the team. He scored like 90% of his points on a pick and pop in the middle of the floor, mm-hmm. and we hadn't done any switching. But for that game, we looked at it and said, you know what? If we could just take away five opportunities of this really good player to get his bread and butter is going to help us. And we switched the whole game in the second round of the NCAA tournament in Syracuse, and we hadn't done that all year. So I think you have to be able to adjust, but you got to know your team as well.
0: James Whitford, coach at Ball State, we've had some conversations before about, you know, he would say, Mondro, you know, Archie, the fast break, their, their transition offense, it's, it's brilliant. It's probably a podcast for another day. Can you still be committed to running or scoring quick in the postseason?
1: You know, it's a great question because I think, as you know, who you are in November and December changes when you even get into conference play. You know, it's harder to get easy baskets in conference play. If you're a running team, which we were at Dayton on makes and misses, my whole time there. You have to be committed to being yourself. And I think we were. And I think we stayed with that throughout the course. And it gave us, in my opinion, because we had great point guard play, it gave us the opportunity to to get some easy ones to keep the pace on, maybe eliminate a team from offensive rebounding because they were worried about our transition. But we made that our staple. We made that our, our baby. And I thought that that was part of, of our mantra at Dayton in terms of how we played there was the break. Makes and misses. We were going to push it and we were going to run. And It helped us quite a bit at times. But if you look at the scores, they weren't 85 to 75. I mean, it was 56-55. And in some cases, we were playing against teams much bigger and much more methodical. So as you know, postseason, especially in the tournament, it's a style game. You know, who are you playing against and how can you you do it? And, uh, you know, I think that our break was very good to us there. But I also thought we had tremendous point guard play throughout my time there. And it was one of the reasons I thought that we stayed with that. Even in the course of the tournament, we were pushing the ball.
0: You mentioned the last four minutes of the game. I've heard Doc Rivers once say, you know, that's when coaches really coach. And like, so I'm always just blown away. And obviously, a wealth of experience being a head coach. How did you prepare for the last four minutes of a a game, especially a tournament game? Is this something spring, summer, all the years of being a head coach? like, Or did the night before, did you list some thoughts? Like, did you think about like, hey, last four minutes of the game like how did you replay those or play those four minutes of the games in, in terms of preparation being a head coach
1: you know you know to us it became more of a 365 day approach mm-hmm. you know we we call the four minute segments there's 10 four minute segments in a game we call them wars uh 10 four minute wars and we try to break the game down into those 10 four minute segments where we can you know give our guys short bursts in the timeout that we had won a segment or lost. We have to win the next one. Hey, we won two in a row. Let's get the third one. But our players knew that we wanted to be a 10th war program. We wanted to be a team that when we got to the 10th war, we knew we were going to win. Whether we were up or down, we used that 10th war mentality and conditioning and weightlifting and practice. And we would do four-minute wars in practice. And at the end of the day, I think if you can hear your team in huddles talking about the wars without the coaches, you got a chance to be really good. And I think that became part of our staple uh, when we were successful, you know, for a long stretch there, that guys on our team knew, hey, it's A4, let's win A4. And we would always hear It's the ninth war, you know, and the next thing you know, when we would get to that 10th war, the huddle would be about win this war, we win the game, win this war, we win the game. So for us, it was much more of a program philosophy than it was on the day of the game. And I think if you want to be a great team that wins close ones, your team has to really buy into understanding how important that last four minutes is. In terms of one, the last four minutes, we make free throws. We don't give up second shots, and we don't turn the ball over. And at the end of the day, you know, if you win a few in the tenth war, you win the tenth war, you win the game. I think your team starts to believe in it. Were you
0: constantly talking about those points and timeouts?
1: Constantly. I mean, each war there's a coach that's a, his whole deal is what was the, what was the score of the war? It's the first thing we talk about when we sit down at the, at the four minute timeout. We won the war six to five. Great job. We'll want to know. Now let's zone in on the second one. We would try to break that game down really periodically. And if we would lose a war, hey, we're down 11 to two in this war. What's the problem? Well, we just turned it over four times. To me, it was an easy way to really talk to your guys and break the game down without having them overloaded on emotion. You know, and hey, we're 12 up. We're 12-2 on the war. You know, and if we would be going into the 10th war in particular, we win this war by one point. We only got to win this war by one point and we're going to win the game. And, you know, to me, we, we would always constantly communicate with our players the circumstances in, this, in those segments.
0: What about in-game coaching? Is that go back to the war too? Like I'm always just blown away by I had limited experience being a division one interim head coach and in-game coaching to me was, you know, it's challenging. Like what was your thought process with in-game coaching, like in-game adjustments, just the flow of the game?
1: Well, I think the big thing for me was always to see how the game was going. But to me, the best that I was always at was when I was able to get my best players the ball or shot or post-ups or fouls. You know, I felt like as a coach, you have to be able to control the game the best you can when you need baskets, when you need scenarios where you're down. You have to get the ball to the right guy. For me to be able to injustice the game was getting the ball with the play correct, you know, to the right guy. Get your best players the shot. And I think sometimes we would let the game play out in the first half a lot. But I really controlled it more in the second half in terms of our offense. Defensively, you know that's where your assistant coaches and the scouting comes in. Where you may need a defensive lineup in the game, you may need a guy that's coming in and switching more, or you need a small ball lineup in because they're playing small. So I think you rely on your staff. I think it's situational, but I also think like at the end of the game, you want your best players shooting, and at the other end of the floor, defensively, you want to take away what they're trying to do and. And to me, that was the right personnel on the floor. I'm
0: blown away with this podcast that you and your brother, Sean, are doing called Next Play with the Miller Brothers. Just want to end (laughs) the podcast with this. What is truly next play mentality?
1: Moving on. You know, it's hard to do. And I think in basketball, As a coach, you're constantly trying to get your players realistically to get to the next play. You know, you can't allow things to steamroll you. You can't allow things to impact you moving forward in a negative way. And I think, you know, Thad Motta was probably the best guy I've ever been around in terms of being able to handle a team or a player and not let one bad play take a guy out of the game or a bad stretch for a team. It was always next play. He would say it all the time. All right, next play, next play. Mistakes, you know, realistically don't matter. It's the next play. And I think we did the podcast as we get ready to start, stay active, uh, be able to communicate with people, be able to talk basketball. And I think for us, the next play means that's what it is it's the next opportunity for us to mm-hmm. to get going and get re-energized and it's done that it's been a really good thing for us to be able to talk basketball be able to share we've had you know so many different coaches from around the country NBA college high school reach out after them and talk we've we've got a lot of positive feedback from it but it's been for us therapeutic we're just talking basketball which we do anyway
0: yeah, it's it's really it's real life, isn't it? Next play in life, it's pretty big time.
1: Yeah, it pretty much correlates to anything you do, and and to me, that's that's what the best do. They have a very very short term memory. You know, you just you're on to the next thing because that's the most important thing.
0: Well, Coach Miller, I've been a massive fan of yours for a long, long time. Loved you as a player, followed your career as an assistant, thought you crushed it as a head coach. We have a mutual friend in Bill Comar, so he gave me a small access to you. One of the things I was always blown away with you is every time I wrote you, texted you, you always responded. I texted you two days with just kind of a, just one night, just thinking about like, who could I ask about how to help somebody win in March? And you were one of the first persons I thought about. I reached out to you, you responded instantly. I'm so appreciative for doing it for me, but most importantly for helping other coaches, helping them get ready to, you know, compete and win in March.
1: Uh, It's always great talking to you. You're one of the best in the business, always have been. It's always good to talk to the guys who love the game and and love to do more for other people. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, coaches in general, it's a copycat business. People want to get better. And uh, if you can help somebody, you know, win one game or help one player do a little better, if they ask, you know, to me, that's always been something that when I ask, I hope somebody will help me. So you got to give back. Thanks, coach. Anytime. I'm yeah. yeah.